Hey everyone, two things before we get into today's episode. If you haven't booked your VCon 2023 hotel yet, don't worry, the team is making it easy for you with this helpful link. Check it out and book your hotel today, but make sure you act fast. We don't want you to miss out. Also, if you need help getting your VCon ticket, fill out the form that's in the description as well and the team will get you situated. We will see you in May and enjoy the episode. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Um, being your biggest motivator, but also your toughest critic. Yeah. Um, I wonder, is there is there one specific trait about your father that you are intentional about passing along to your kids? But also, is there one specific trait about your dad that you're intentional not to pass on to your kids? So to create clarity on that, I, w- I wouldn't say my dad was my toughest critic. He just was so different than my mom in the fact that, you know, I grew up in a very immigrant household that had a very 1940s, 50s, 60s model. I literally, literally slept in the same home that my father did every single day of my life. From three years old to 14. I'm gonna, I, I really want every single person to hear this to give you context to this answer. My father and I slept in the same exact house every single day from the time I was three to 14 because my family took zero vacations and traveled zero every day. And from three to 14, I might have seen my dad, seen my father like 20 times a year. Cause he would leave before I would wake up and he would come home after I went to sleep. That's how much my father worked. And my mom took care of us. My mom is the greatest cheerleader of all time. Like, just an unbelievable ray of sunshine, very positive, not to be fucked with. You know, my mom's an angel that will shoot you in the face if you do the wrong thing. But she was just like, I just had nothing but positivity and sunshine and all this good. My father is very pessimistic and cynical. You have to earn his trust. Like, it's just, he's a different dude. And, it was a really hard transition for me of being with my mom every day to being 14, which was the age that I started spending every waking moment at my dad's liquor store. Every weekend, every summer vacation, every Thanksgiving, every spring break, I was in my dad's liquor store, working at my dad's liquor store, and it was just like a cold shower, but he wasn't critical of me. He was just cynical. I just had, and he was very cynical and critical of the world. The first thing my father told me the day I worked in his liquor store was keep an eye on the employees, they steal. It's like the first shit I've ever heard. I'm like, oh my God, okay. (laughs) You know, like, and so we just had different styles, but the thing I would wanna pass on to my children is probably the biggest impact my father had on me. I was born with such gift of gab, and look, this room is gonna really understand what I'm about to say. When you were born, with the ability to talk and be very persuasive, it is very easy to go down the wrong path. And my father getting me at 14, and I promise you, when I was 10, 11, 12, selling lemonade or baseball cards, I was willing to say anything to sell. 
I was a kid, I didn't know any better. My dad grabbing me at 14, 15 and teaching me this, that your word is bond, really has a massive impact on me being able to sit here today. You know, when people like talk shit about me and they're like, fuck this huckster, I kind of laugh, I'm like, fuck man. If I didn't have my dad, I might be the dude that this person thinks I am. And that's why maybe they even think it, because you know, like, again, when you're that much sizzle, you have to be a little cynical. That would definitely be the thing that I would want to pass on to my children, because I think sticking to your word and being a person of honor is very, very, very good in a million different ways. And then I think the thing that I would try to keep away from them is that cynicism. I believe that if you are pessimistic and cynical, you've already lost. I genuinely believe that. If you decide everything sucks, everything sucks. Life is very, very simple in its complex infrastructure, which is you find what you're looking for. If you want to be upset about the world, good news. Turn on the television, open your phone and go on social media and you will be upset 24-7. On the flip side, if you want to be happy and optimistic, good news. Turn on the fucking television and take out your phone and you could be really optimistic and happy. You're deciding what you're looking at. Not the algorithm. TikTok and Facebook isn't fucking you up. You're fucking you up. And so I'm very passionate about that. Yeah, that's great. So what do you say to people that have been at a place for five or six or seven years working really hard? You know, I've heard you talk about the difference between patience and complacency. People that haven't you know, it's a challenging question. I think the first thing I always talk about that I spend a lot of time on, the things that keep me happy and growing are accountability and self-awareness. The first thing I would say to somebody who's sitting here is like, oh, that's the question for me today. I'm seven years in. I feel like I should be further along at power. It starts with like, are you just selling yourself what you want to hear? You know, we're very good at that. Like, I, I, I love everyone being their biggest fan, but you have to be practical and truthful with yourself because if you're lying to yourself, you're going down a really bad path. And so if you're just saying, I'm better than my manager or whatever, whatever you're saying to yourself or fuck, you're looking around, you're like, damn, that person came a year after I did, but they're further ahead, that's your fault or this fault. Like, you start going into the pointing finger game, it's gonna get ugly real fast. You go into the thumb game, it can get really good because if you go thumb and you really go thumb for like a year or two, then you can wake up in, what do we mean, 23? In 2025 and be like, you know what? I feel like I went thumb for 24 months. Now I feel good. Now I feel power doesn't see me for what I am. And then you can go to Schmauer or Bauer or Hauer. You can do anything you want. That's just feel like moving to Canada. You can do anything you want. You can leave tomorrow. But before you do that, especially when you look at what has happened in this company in the last 20 years, when you see success like that, you've gotta really look inside yourself and just spend 24 months on thumbs instead of fingers, and then you'll have that peace of mind to be like, hey, and by the way, I'm really passionate about like growth and all this stuff, and as I get to know more about the business, I'm like, and you, and like it, I'm like, oh, I see why I'd be a good speaker for this, because I think there's some shared vision. I've made a million subjective mistakes. It's impossible for a company to always be right. You know, what I love about sports is we know when teams are wrong about players. When a player gets traded or a player goes to free agency and they go somewhere else and they shine, you're like, see? It's hard to do that in business. 
And, and by the way, everyone's making subjective calls. AI has not taken over the world yet. People are moving up and things of that nature based on someone's subjective call. And that's okay. Like subjective calls are a part of life. So there is no right, there's just life. And so I think, to answer your question, two years of this, and if it doesn't taste good, and you went super countable, and you went there, and you kind of like try to do the things that you hear that, you know, a lot of people hear feedback from people, and because it hurts their feelings, they don't accept it. And so like, what about going a year trying to address the things you've heard from two or three people and just see what happens? Then you could have peace of mind of moving on instead of what, I mean, Vayner's a funny place. The amount of people that leave my company that then reach out a year, two or three later and want to come back is giving me the confidence that we're doing it right. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I, we get that. What I like more are the phone calls or emails or text messages of someone that left that's doing great. Of and course you love it more. It says, I, what I learned and took with me has been so helpful. Same. Yeah. The people that want to come back is just affirmation that we're doing it right because you need a feedback loop that isn't you creating your own homework. But I agree with you, one of the great joys of my life is I know for fact that in a decade or two, a high percentage of the Fortune 500 CMOs would have come up the VaynerMedia ranks and gone, it's already happened. Tubi literally had the best fucking Super Bowl commercial this year. Tubi literally had the best commercial if you watch the Super Bowl, in my opinion, because it kind of caught you and made you think. And the CMO of that company is a former Vayner alum who like absolutely grew heavy in our company and nothing makes me happier than that. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I don't know how, how many questions I get to, so people will not be happy with me if I don't ask you this. Maybe the most famous Jets fan in the country. Let's go Jets! Um, you are so positive. Yep. Um, you might be getting a franchise quarterback who, not putting titles on names on it, seems like he has a different leadership style than you. You're, I'm just curious your thoughts on him. Is he the missing piece to get the Jets to the Super Bowl? Um, so, remember I told you about my father? The only place I'm exactly like my father is when I watch the Jets. <laughs> My family thinks it's like, it's literally, the joke in my family is it's the kryptonite to my, like I'm at a kickoffs at one, at 12.15 on Sundays in the fall and winter, for 45 minutes I will talk like the bizarro reverse version of myself. I will give you a hundred reasons why this is not gonna work out today. I like, and mainly it's just to protect myself because I love it so much. I just need to settle in for a devastating loss just so it's not so crushing at 4 p.m. That's also, that's like sound advice for a Jets fan. I'll give you a perfect, it is. I'll give you a perfect example. As some of the hardest core football fans here know, this is like deja vu of what the Jets did with Brett Favre. It's like fucking bizarro. Like, franchise quarterback at Green Bay for 15 years and now comes to the Jets and tries to make a run. In that season, it was going well. They were nine and four. They literally went to Tennessee to play the Titans. The Titans were 10 and 0. We were playing at Tennessee and we beat the living shit out of them, giving them their first loss, like 30 to seven. 
it was all going great, and then Brett got hurt. He didn't disclose it, and they literally lost their last four games, similar to this season, didn't even make the playoffs, and all fell apart. Literally, in the last 72 hours, I texted my brother that that's what's gonna happen. Aaron's gonna come, we're gonna be like 10 and two, on cloud fucking nine, this is fucking it, and some dog shit injury's gonna happen, and it's all gonna fucking burn to the ground. (laughs) He'd be so happy. So look, I have to, like, I, I really like full disclosure. Full disclosure, there's probably like a 50% feeling in my body that it's destined for me to buy the Jets and win their Super Bowl. So it's, there's a little part of like, not that, not, by the way, as a diehard fan, I prefer that not to be the case. I would like to win the Super Bowl next year. It's just that there's a weird part of me that thinks that's how this is gonna play out. Uh, hustle. Yes. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it came about. It has a stigma. I'm curious what you think it means. I'm curious what you think people get wrong about it, what they should get right about it. Well, look, I think, you know, the term started to bubble up in the last half decade, seven years, and, you know, I think it's, for me, it's unfortunate because I love that word so much and used it my whole life. Like, I was such a big baseball fan in the 80s, like, Charlie Hustle with Pete Rose and like, I just, I love it. Like I love work ethic and effort. I think it's a massive variable. So what do I think? I think the pendulum swings on topics. Um, I'm not, people ask me about this a lot. I'm not overtly caught up in semantics. So like for example, I tend to use the word way less because I know it triggers people and they think it means burnout, which is never a good idea. So I just use the word work ethic. Like, I'm, I don't get caught up in words. If anybody on earth believes that work ethic is not one of the ingredients to achieve something, whether that's being a great parent, whether that's building a huge business, whether that's putting food on your table, well, they're delusional. And so, what do I think? I think it's great that there's conversation, but I think things, unfortunately, in today's society go far to the left and far to the right. Everything's so extreme. So I'm glad that you know hustle porn and all that stuff came up because it maybe helped some people who were delusional and thought just working 24 hours a day was gonna make them successful and that's good for them. Yep. On the flip side, I will never, to the day I die, believe that work ethic isn't part of the equation. As a matter of fact, one of the topic of conversations recently is like, oh shit, do we think there's momentum for a four day work week, right? There's some, some of that starting to bubble up, right? And like, like, you know, again, all my friends and family are like, what do you think, four day work week? Because they know I'm so passionate about what I do and all that, I'm like, I think it's great. I'm like, if everybody else doesn't work another day during the week, that means I'm gonna dominate even more. <laughs> so like, let's go to one day work week. I'll work the other seven, you can vacation for the other six. Because merit is always gonna play out. So, what do I think? I think everyone, everyone has a different answer to balance. There are people here that are in the time of their, where they are in their life, we're working nine to nine, feels super fun for them and that's what they wanna do and I think that's great. Some other people might have just gotten into a marriage and, or a first child and wanna commit a different level of thing and I think that's all great. I don't think anything has to be but I don't understand why someone would demonize someone who's interested in putting in some extra effort to advance their life when that has been the proven way of humanity for the last fucking 10,000 years. I know it. 
Um, Natalie, like, you know, is this like the hardest group of hustlers I've ever met, and we are a six-day-a-week culture here, not a four-day-a-week, um, and sometimes seven. But, and by the way, I grew up in retail. Like, it was, six was bare minimum. Saturday was the busiest day. Like, and to your point, like, I worked most Sundays too, because when, when you want to achieve something, it's the biggest thing you can control. There's so many things we can't control in here. The luck of the draw of health is really fucking non-controllable. The government's gonna do a bunch of shit that we can't control. Like, the one thing you can control is what you decide your output is. You control that shit. So, like, speaking of, of working hard and hustling, um, almost everybody that I'm in the audience right now, I would describe as a player coach. Mm -hmm. You talk about being an architect and a mason. Yes. Because the second you get caught living in an ivory tower and you get too bougie, is the second someone's gonna get you. I just, I, I don't, I love the player coach analogy. You know, I think it's important to stay in the dirt. Like, I just don't know what else to say. If you don't stay in the dirt, you don't know what's actually happening. I really, I don't really understand by the way, I do understand. There's just a lot of people that are content with capping out. And I think that's, again, this goes back to my work-life balance thing. Like, a lot of people really like to make $200,000 a year and being an executive and just going to meetings that mean fucking nothing five days a week and like living that life. And I, I genuinely mean this when I say this. I think that's remarkable. I think everyone should do whatever they want. You want to move to Norway and live, work 30 hours a week and climb mountains? Knock yourself out. That's not for me. And I think same with this one. For me, the thought that I wouldn't know what's actually happening in the trenches, the single reason Gary Vee, the character, exists is because I'm in the business of marketing and if I don't do it myself, I won't know what's actually happening. Yeah. Do you know how fun it is for me to be in business meetings where I fully know everything about what we do? You're never scared. You prep for nothing. My team's always like, you don't prep. I'm like, I live this shit. I'm like, you prep because you don't. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, um, I think there's really positive people, I think there's really hardworking people. You have a, a, a really interesting balance, which is why, one of the reasons why I thought you would be such an ideal person to come talk to you. Uh, I've stolen line of yours that I use quite a bit. Um, you wanted to build mm. the tallest building yeah. without tearing other people's. I'm very hot on this. And There's two ways to build the biggest bu building in town. One, just build the biggest fucking building. Two, tear everyone else's buildings down. And I really believe society has gotten really good at number two. If you really pay attention to what's happening out there, from your neighbor to your politicians, they're in the business of tearing everybody else's building down to make theirs look bitter. For me, I have no time for that nonsense, that pain, that anxiety, that darkness. You, I asked you something as we were hanging a little bit of like the competitive landscape and you're like, I don't know and I love that. I'm the same way. I, when I tell you I know nothing about who I'm competing with, I just care about the customer and I'm just trying to build the biggest fucking building and, I'm gonna, and if somebody builds a bigger one, I'm happy for them. Uh, I, I respect that. Somebody's gonna score more points, somebody's gonna knock you out in the octagon, it's gonna happen. 
It's just the way it is, but yeah, I'm very big on that. I want to bring it up, um, and I want myself and Annette to kind of hear you expand out a little bit, but also so I can tell you that I think that the way that you do it, but also that you didn't um, want to talk about it is important. Because I think that there's a lot of people who are trying to make it in life, trying to make it in business, trying to make it as an entrepreneur. They take the opposite route, not because bad people, but because they think that is the only way to do it. And when there's someone that is a serial successful entrepreneur like you that is saying that you can do it and you can do it with love, matters. I appreciate that. You know, it's funny, back to the Jets where I'm bizarro me, I live this life where I really cheer for others, even my competitors. I swear, it's in my soul. I got that from my mom. But I'm telling you, when the Jets lose a game, especially if it's like late in the game and it's a heartbreaker, and then the game hits triple zero, and they go to the middle of the field and they start hugging dudes from the other side, I'm literally the human in the stand saying, don't hug that fucker, I'm so mad. But that's how I live my life. In sports, I go crazy, but in real life, I just don't understand why. Here's a very simple question for everyone in here. Think about what I'm about to say, it's so fucking simple. Why in any shape or form, why in any shape or form would you wish ill on someone else? What scenario? I understand you can come up with some edge case. I'm just curious why envy and jealousy and hate and disdain has so much momentum. I know why, because people have weaponized it at scale in our world, but you, forget about anything else. Forget about even your ideologies or how you were raised. I love how people talk about, well, I was raised this way. Fuck that shit. You blame your parents for a lot of other dumb shit. Stop blaming everything out. Like, why would you ever, for any reason, actually want harm or sadness or not good for another human. I, I'm just passionate about this. Totally. Talk about your team. Yep. Um, you've obviously developed a lot of teams. When you think of that as the leadership conference of our team, what is like the number one philosophy that you have for leaders, the number one thing that you think uh, leaders have to create for other people? Safety. You must eliminate fear. If you're motivating by like, if you don't hit this number, you're fired. That sucks. You must eliminate fear. I think safety and vulnerability. I think too many leaders don't know how to lean into vulnerability. And vulnerability, like I'm not great at vulnerability my damn self because my whole life has always been on my back. You know, like, I'm always doing it. I was the older brother. I was from the, like, I, I'm, but like, you find ways to like sneak in a little humility or you take on responsibility. I tell my team all the time when I give them critical feedback of like, you fuck this up and then literally once I get it out, I come right behind them like, which means I fuck this up. And so like safety, you've got to make people feel safe. Leaders make people feel safe. That's a real leader. Using fear to motivate people, that's some B-list fucking bullshit leadership style. Doesn't mean that you can't be candid. Like, the ultimate fear is always in play. To me, I will lead you with love and safety till the end. I've gotten better at giving you candor when I'm concerned. I don't need to scare you into performance. And so I think safety 
Eliminating fear is the number one, eliminating fear is the number one thing a parent, a leader, a manager should do. That doesn't mean you can't rah-rah or say let's fucking, you know, like, that's, that's motivating. Motivating and hyping is absolutely appropriate at times. I'm talking about fear. If you can't do this, I'm gonna find someone who can. That's fear. LeBron. LeBron. Yes. And so for all you doers, this is very simple. Like I said earlier, like USA, yeah, it's good in the macro, but everyone has their own experiences with USA. I'm a Knicks fan. Your favorite Instagram profile? Like, like someone's profile, you mean? Other than one of So the answer is I don't have one, and I'll explain, because it might bring value. I'm not in the business of anything other than trying to figure out what eight billion people on earth are interested in. So I don't really follow things, I'm trying to follow the mass attention. So it's always of the moment, right? To me it's kind of like, what's happening? So I don't, I, I'm, it's kind of like, you know how like people that have a profession don't like doing it when they're off the field? Like back to sports, we've been talking a lot about like, you know, basketball, they're like, let's play basketball, like, they don't want to, or like wine. I only started enjoying wine for wine like five years after I left the wine store because it was always like my business. Anytime I drank wine, I was thinking, should I buy this? Can we sell it? Why did they do it this way? With social, it's so what I do. I don't use it like a normal yeah. person. I don't follow anyone, really. I'm just trying to follow the signals. That kind of came through also in your answer before about what people are watching. Mm. Mm. Um, what is one of your go-to hype songs? I'm very, by the way, I'm listening to so much Rocky Three soundtrack right now. <laughs> like. I, I mean, it really varies. I've historically really used Bone Thugs and Harmony first of the month. Um, I'm very big on that song, but, but lately I've been like, that whole Rocky Four. I know I just mentioned three, but the whole Rocky Four when he's like fucking in the snow in Russia, I'm like, you know, and obviously where I was born and the age I was, it just like, I don't know, it just, it's back to the dirt, like the fucking beard and Drago's doing fucking roids, but he's like, Rocky's like eating logs and shit. <laughs> like, so I would say the Rocky 3-4 kind of soundtrack. So the question I had here was three people that you've never met but would love to have a dinner party with. I'm debating if I should change that to three people you have met, but let's think we've never met. Three people you have not met yet that you'd like to have at a dinner party. Dead or alive? Alive. That's a good question. Okay. That I've never met or that I've never had like... Hey, I've been back and forth Whichever one you think is, is, is a better, more fun... I'll just bring up some names that pop to mind. I think Bob Iger is really interesting. He's now Same. back to being the CEO of Disney. Not to be political, but that would be a great president. I agree, by the way. I think he would do well. Um, I just like the way he saw that IP was more valuable than distribution. I'm very fascinated. I, I have natural skills at it. I don't know why, so that makes it double fascinating to me. It's really interesting when you genuinely can see around corners. It's just interesting when you can really sense it. I put in the work. You know, some of it comes natural of knowing the next question or what you're gonna say. Others is the last question of like watching everything so you know that Jack Harlow's gonna win in three years. So like it's that kind of stuff. Um, so he comes to mind for sure. Um, God, 
it's so interesting how these cliche questions are so not interesting to me. I mean, this is as cliche, you know, this is like that question. And that, like, I don't know why. Oh, right. You know, who gives a fuck? You're about to die. I don't know about any food. Um, who the fuck else would I want to have dinner with? Um, I don't know. Like, honestly, the real qu- answer to that question is I wish I got to know my grandfathers. I didn't get to know either of them. My dad's dad died when he was 15. My mom's dad died when six months before he was coming to America. I, I was very close to him when I was a baby, one, two, three, but I just don't recall him. That would have been interesting for me because the, the thing that I see in my children is, oh, wait a minute, this is traits from their grandparents, not from, and I think, you know, because I've never been back to where I've been born, because I lost three of my four grandparents, I have like this big blank slate of like the origin outside of my own parents, and so, that real, every time that question comes up, my two grandfathers shoot right to the top of the list. And Randy the Macho Man Savage. <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, if you got Plus, Miss Elizabeth is when I knew that I was a man. <laughs> if you got to go in a third world country and you only had one phone call, who you calling? Probably my mom to be like, don't worry, I got this. Okay, I like that. <laughs> Every mom's so happy in the audience right now. What is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Oh, that's nice. What is the kindest thing that anyone has ever done for me? I mean, the reality, you know, it's, if, if I'm gonna answer these answers straight, it would be my mom. My mom loved me in such a high-level way that it's pretty obvious to me that like a stunning portion of everything that's working is completely and utterly directly attributable to her and how she loved me. That is a great answer. Um, if you could choose one person, living or dead, to be your mentor that wasn't one of your mentors, who would it be? I'm smiling because we're doing a lot of family talk here. One of, like, I'm, so I don't feel, even with my father, which is tough to say, and, and obviously my mom and my dad are really the only two people I could even begin to think are mentors for me. And they're my mentors in life. But, you know, I'm, I'm taking that in the context of business, but maybe life, I would probably say, was that dead or, was that dead or alive? Yeah, they're alive. I'm gonna give you an interesting answer. It's what came to my mind. I'm gonna paint everybody here a little quick picture of the people I admire the most. The people I admire the most are not the people we know. I take a lot of 6 a.m. flights back to work ethic and have a lot over the last decade. And I'm always really, really inspired only by when it's 4.15 in the morning and I'm in the car and I'm driving to LaGuardia or JFK and I'm looking out the window in New York City and Queens and just kind of the grind. And I'm seeing like, you know, like a 59 year old woman get out of the subway at like 4.15 and going to work. 
And I don't know what it is about that, but that stuff, to me it's the people that nobody knows. And you know, then I start painting scenarios in my mind of like, just like, it really inspires me. I'm like, you know, you make up shit. I make up stories to myself. You're just trying to think. I'm like, man, I wonder if like, you know, she was super, like I think a lot about adversity. And I paint these pictures, because I'm driven by gratitude. And I'll look at that, I'm like, man, maybe her husband passed like last year and she has four children still not graduating and she used to have a regular nine to five but now she's had to do a six to nine in the morning. Like, I'm just so much more inspired by that person. I'd much, be, I'd much more be interested and mentored by someone that got to 99 that never had anxiety and smiled every day of their life and they just might have worked on a farm in Kansas and like I I just, I think about that shit, like I'm so, back to even the three people, like it's all kind of this last 10 minutes around the same theme which is like, I don't know, like I, those are the people that inspire me, those are the mentors. I'm very into simplicity. I'm so not into fucking Rolexes. I hate fucking Lambos. Fuck your private jet. Like I don't give a fuck. Yeah. That for a couple minutes before I lose time. Overrated, underrated. This always gets me in trouble. Overrated, underrated. Okay. Netflix. Overrated, underrated. Underrated. That business model still has so much more to go. Um, so I'm going with the business of Netflix. Underrated. Wordle. Wordle. I mean, I would say underrated now because it's completely. F- How many people here are actively playing Wordle? Raise your hands. Yeah, so we got like eight. Watch this. How many people did at some point actively play Wordle? Right, so like for me I would say underrated right now because it's on a downside, but it's still a really interesting use of seven minutes a day. Curious about your thought about this. AI art. Underrated. AI, these robots are coming for you. I don't give a fuck how much you guys think you're hustlers. These robots are gonna knock on doors like in a way that's gonna fuck you up. AI is uncomfortably underrated. Uncomfortably underrated. Um, White Lotus. I didn't watch that shit. Underrated. Airbnb. I think Airbnb is properly rated. I think Airbnb is one of the more interesting things that's happened in the last 20 years. If you told somebody 30 years ago that they're gonna let strangers live in their house instead of hotel rooms, you would have been laughed out of the room. I love, it's kind of like bottled water. Imagine telling your great-grandmother that people pay $4 for bottled water when it's free in the fucking sink. So I always think about these things that came along that made no sense. I also think on the flip side, it's a mature thing now. It probably hasn't had as much of an overall impact as it could have. So I just think it's kind of properly rated to slightly underrated. Uh, Tesla. Tesla. Um, There's a lot of places you can take this. Um, I'm gonna go with underrated. I think for me why I'm going underrated is I don't think people can appreciate how hard it is to completely disrupt an industry of that size and scale that looked exactly the same for so long. Everybody in that industry laughed at Tesla. Everybody at the biggest companies laughed at that company 15 years ago and now spend 50% of their meetings trying to figure out how to compete with it. I think that makes it underrated. 
My last one, after our conversation earlier, again, getting in front of me, pickleball. Pickleball. Um, I think pickleball might be slightly overrated right now, and I'm a pickleball owner uh, of a team in the league. I literally just flew here from a pickleball tournament. Um, the only reason I'm going with overrated is similar to NFTs, similar to AI, when there's something new, first it's extremely underrated. And then when it flips, it gets overrated real fast because everyone's like, it's the fastest growing sport, this and that. Pickleball is nascent. It's tiny right now. I think its upside's enormous, but I think the hype's ahead of its reality, even though I think in 20 years, it has a chance to be one of the sports that's like real, 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 but I'm taking that angle on this part. Okay. And we're back to the real questions now. Okay. Those felt real. This is a hard charging industry, right? We push really, really hard. Yep. Jobs are hard, deal with tons of projection. Yep. And people get down and find ways to stay, stay positive. Do people get down to the nose? Because nose excite the shit out of me. Like, ding dong, da, 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 da. no, I get pumped. I, I like no more than, my friends, the Jets and the Knicks are my favorite teams. I was, I was a Yankees and Rangers fan as a kid, equal to those teams, but those teams won championships, and as soon as the Rangers won the cup in 94 and the Yankees in 96, I stopped cheering for them. I really mean this when I say this. Thinking about people get good enough to get to this room in your company, are people really down by the nose? Because I would argue probably a high percentage of the people here are really like kind of weirdly, in, like I love the no. I secretly love losing. I love a micro loss. The reason I'm a macro winner is because I'm addicted to micro losing. We created eighth place trophies. That fucked everything up. All those parents that thought they were doing good came from a good place. I don't think anyone here is confused. They weren't coming from a bad place. They didn't want their kid to cry. They didn't want their kid to hurt. That's coming from a very nice place. It just did a major, major thing wrong, which is merit matters. The truth matters. And if you suck shit at soccer and your team lost every game seven nothing, at the end of the season, you should not get a fucking trophy. parents, coaches, leaders should just tell that kid, you might be good at basketball. <laughs> like, just because you suck at soccer doesn't mean you suck at life. Just because you suck at school doesn't mean you suck at life. Just because you suck at, like, this concept that you have to be all good at everything or it's all bad is so fucked. Yeah. Right, it's the same thing that's pissing me off on this generational warfare. Like everybody making fun of boomers or Gen Z. Like this whole stream of energy. All that's happening is people just keep going into these micro tribes to fight each other. Like as if I don't know unlimited Gen Z kids, there's tons of them here that work their fucking faces off. Right? Yep. As if like 60 year olds aren't cool, that's ridiculous. Like. I'm 47, this is the coolest I've ever been in my fucking life. <laughs> like, like we, this, this like battle that we're doing with all this shit really pisses me off and like the eighth place trophies created entitlement. We've gone through 30 years of creating zoo animals. We protected the fuck out of these kids so then they go into the real world and the real world's the fucking jungle. 
and the zebra goes out there thinking they're gonna get fed because that's how it's been going down in the zoo for the last 30 years and a fucking lion rips their fucking head off. Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think there's, uh, there's causation, there's correlation, there's you know, what creates these things. Yeah. The same way with the trophies. You know what created it? I also think the way that uh, younger generation of people, some in the room, the reason that they either don't want to work as hard or feel as committed to an organization is because most organizations are not as committed to them as they used to be. A hundred percent. So why would they not? Why would they? They also have options. Right? I mean, I make so much content on this issue. Gen Z's not lazy. They understand their options. Hey, you want to come work this dick shit job and get paid 52000 a year? Or do you want to stay home and make TikToks and make 60000 a year? Yeah, companies are completely fucked. If you don't give a fuck about your employees, why the fuck should they care about you? I'm not a part of social media, right? That's not, fine. Not on social media, do I have Instagram. When I yep. talk to people, when I meet people, they say, hey, what is your Instagram? Instagram? And I say, I don't have it. You know what the response is every time? What? That's so great. Good for you. I'm jealous. As if they're forced to be on it. Yeah, I think they're on a talk track. I actually don't think it's what that is. I think that's the cool thing to say now. I swear to God, I don't think a lot of people fully believe a lot of the shit that comes out of their mouth. I think that's just the thing that people are saying right now. 10 years ago, there was no demonization of social. Right now there is. Wait till you see what AI looks like. You're gonna wish for social. Wait till VR is full pledge. Wait till we're knocking on fucking doors in the metaverse. Guys, I want everybody to do something right now. Please Google on your phone right now in the middle of this keynote articles about, type in kaleidoscope addiction Europe. Go to Google right now, type in kaleidoscope. I have no fucking idea how to spell that shit. <laughs> kaleidoscope addiction Europe. Find it. Read the articles about how kids are addicted to the kaleidoscope and we have to fucking ban it because people in Europe in the fucking 18 or 1900 or whatever the fuck, they were literally walking around like this. And that was like gonna ruin the world. And you know what else was gonna ruin the world? The television. And you know what else was gonna ruin the world? Video games. Some of you were the age were like, you play too much video games, you're gonna be a real fucking loser. Meanwhile, gamers are making like a million dollars a year twitching the fuck out of this shit. <laughs> Technology doesn't give a fuck about our opinions. It's gonna keep moving. Everything that was scary becomes mundane over time. And so MTV used to be poison. For all the seven of us that stood up that are over 40, like MTV, they banned Madonna's video. Madonna's video that was banned on MTV in the 1980s is like a mundane TikTok. So yeah, I mean, I'm very passionate about this, not because of social, it's just how I see the whole world. Like, I just don't understand what people are thinking. There's two things, technology will keep going and remember when the beeper was the hot shit? Or your, remember the razor phone? or all the people that didn't want to give up their Blackberry when the iPhone came out because they needed the fucking buttons. Like technology doesn't care about our individual opinions. It's too macro. It's just gonna keep happening. We always demonize new technology, yet our iPhone today and social is gonna seem like kindergarten in 20 years. And this is a young room and you'll remember this. 
And so what do I think? I think if you are scared by it, that's amazing. That's your right. And you should then not use it or limit it. And I really do view it no different than many things on earth. Everything is, there's sugar's addicting. Like sugar's a real fucking problem for a lot of people. Like we can restrict it. I'm th- By the way, I'm very funny as an entrepreneur. I'm at peace with whatever the government, if the US government tomorrow said we're paying 99% taxes, I'd be like, okay. As long as everybody else that's as good as me is paying 99% taxes. So like, I'm not worried about regulation. I'm not worried about what we do. I just want every individual human to get more into accountability because you'll be happier. When someone listens to your podcast, reads something that you write, and like the positivity, one drop in here, Mm. and it's full. Mm. And they think to themselves, that's awesome, but that's kind of deflating for me because he's such a natural optimist, and I'm not, I mean, that person saying I'm, 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 a, I'm a pessimist. Dustin, they think, can they you come think, up here? Keep going. If they think to yep. themselves, um, I wonder if I could ever be that way. Yeah. Can they change it? Can they change, them, change themselves from being? Everyone, this is Dustin. Dustin, what's up, buddy? I'm gonna use Dustin to answer this question. Dustin. Yes. How long have you worked with me? Almost five years. Five years ago, would you consider yourself an optimist? No. What would you consider yourself? Uh, I would call myself a realist, but you would say a pessimist. Good. (laughs) Do you believe in the last five years that you've moved somewhat? Yes, definitely. Would you say you're as optimistic as me? No. Would you say you are more optimistic than you were five years ago? Definitely. Give us something to quantify that by, a number, a percent, give me something for the audience. Um, 80% better? 80% more optimistic. Cool, thank you. tore both my meniscuses playing basketball uh, and then I had a high ankle sprain that was really bad with a slight fracture in my foot. But in the last three months, I've gotten back to playing basketball. And in the last three months, I'm much better at basketball. If I had to play one-on-one on video right now against someone, I would do much better than I would have 100 days ago, right? After eight years of working out, I have a slight visualization of actually having a chest for the first time in my life, which is very exciting, by the way. <laughs> To answer your question, yes, some people are more naturally gifted. Some people in this room were born with a fucking chest. It's just the way it is. But can every person make strides in a direction of being better at anything? The answer is yes. I think it's cool to get better at basketball. I think it's cool to get better at singing. I think it's cool to get better at skiing. I think it's cool to get better at cooking. But all of that shit is dog shit compared to getting better at being optimistic and happy versus pessimistic and sad. And so watching people like Dustin, watching basically every person I've been around since I was six years old, if they spend enough time with me or people that look like me, watching, watching my own father be wildly affected by his 14, 16, 18, 20 year old son and move from deep pessimism 
to a neutral or 80% better has been one of the great joys of my life. And so what I used to do for people around me and now I do at scale, it's very enjoyable. It's the best feeling on earth. Nothing feels better than making someone's life better. There's a million ways to do it, but I believe changing someone's perspective because it is completely moldable. A perspective is completely moldable. Changing someone's perspective to realizing, and it's funny, I can't believe Dustin went there and he knows this, maybe subconsciously he went there. He knows, because he films me a lot like D-Rock used to. When people, people say to me all the time, in college, after college, before Gary Vee, with Gary Vee now, like, Gary, you don't get it, I just keep it real. I'm like, real fucking negative? You don't keep it real? What's real? You decide shit's broken? I decide it's good. Who's keeping it real? Keeping it real is bullshit. There's no realism. There is no real. Life is how you see it. It's too complex. The audacity of a human thinking they've got it mapped. Even before, that whole rant I just had on social, I don't think I'm right. I don't think I'm right about anything. How about that? On the record, I do not believe I am right about anything. I believe it's just how I see it. I know one thing, I'm 47 and have dealt with a ton of shit through my life and when I think about my percentage of happiness and lack of anxiety compared to the enormous amount of human beings I've gotten to know in my lifetime, I will take mine every day of the week and I'm very affected by that, especially when I have real life examples in front of my face like Dustin and the thousands of other people that I've interacted with in my life deeply and the tens of thousands that I've interacted with, if not hundreds of thousands virtually. This shit is simple. It's black and white. We must fight for happiness. It's awesome. It's really, really great. We've been talking a lot on the idea of happiness why didn't people clap for that shit? That was fucking real. <laughs> Drop something else. You obviously had a ton of financial success throughout your life, right? But you yes. are adamant about that that is not a major motivator for you. Well, because I also didn't have financial success from 22 to 34. You know, how many people here have made $100,000 a year in their life? Raise your hand. And based on the hands that went up of everyone's age, every single person, the majority of the people in this room have made more money in the year that they're living right now than I did. I never made $100,000 until I was 34 years old because I worked for my dad's store. I built my dad's store from a $4 million to a $70 million business and I never made any money. That's the immigrant life. I was so locked in to build my family's business. But you know, family businesses are simple. My dad didn't think he was doing anything wrong and I don't really think he was doing anything wrong. He's like, you'll get this business when I die. My dad's only 22 years older than me. So I used to tell my dad, I'm like, dad, you have good genes. Like you're gonna be 90, I'm gonna be 70. Like who gives a fuck, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you know, I have had financial success in my life, but that was the first 12 years of my career and I've only had about 13 since. So I would argue in my professional career, half my career I had no financial success or very limited and even weirder, I was building a fucking business for real, for real and getting none of the financial benefit but I got all the emotional benefit. I promise you, especially 
people that are very close to their parents in this room, there, there is nothing like putting your parents on. Especially when you admire and are grateful for what they did. I, I could have built my dad's business at 7.5 billion and I couldn't give back to my mom and dad what they did for me. They got me out of the worst place in the world. I got parented really well. Like, I'm really grateful for them, but to, answer, to just create the context, not really. What I did do was I lived within my means. When I made $80,000, I lived a $40,000 lifestyle. That's where everyone's getting fucked. I know people that make 290 a year in debt. Trying to keep up with those fucking Joneses. I have heard you ask um, your listeners to volunteer time <laughs> Yeah. Why? Why do you think it's important? Why do you suggest it? I brought it up earlier, which I'm glad. I'm telling you, get old people in your life that aren't your grandparents. There's a level of they played the game. You can get, so I'm obsessed with context. Like even when we were hanging out and now being with all of you, like literally this is, you guys are gonna like literally in the last 30 minutes, I'm like, I might just go knock on some fucking doors. <laughs> like, just cause. And I'll tell you why. It's why I live in social media. I want the context. I wanna see them say no. I wanna see them say yes. I need the context. How are you gonna live life? Think about how many people live life and have never spent 10 hours with 10 different people that lived life that aren't their grandparents, which is gonna be weighted and have its own variables really about family, not about life. So I'm very bullish on this and I'm, I'm, I've gotta do a better job. We, I've, I've gotta be held accountable too. I've been talking to my team of like, I gotta get to a retirement home, we gotta film it, I gotta show them what it looks like and I haven't really done it. I used to do it in my, a long time ago and so I need to get back at it my damn self but I'm telling all of you and here's how I do it. I actually did it on the flight here. Guy next to me was like 70 or so, just like get into a five, 10 minute. When you're in like the airport, airport's big for this. Airport, you can sneak in a couple of 10 minutes. Like by the way, when you all go home, find an 80 year old dude that looks like Yoda, <laughs> roll up on him and say what's up. First of all, we, you know, we talk a lot about racism and we talk a lot about sexism and we talk about a lot of our issues right now. We don't talk about ageism. We have a major ageism issue, major. Because of technology and that's what's cool, we just shit on 80 year olds many of which put the fucking foundations down for us to be doing what we're doing. And so, yeah, I'm just hot on it. I think there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of people here to get a ton of value. And it's one of those, you know, you really won me over when we were walking here when you said, you know, or maybe in there, where the customer can win, my employee can win, and I can win. I really believe in that. I just don't understand how people don't see this. Everyone can win. The employee can win, the customer can win, and the employer can win. It's actually easy if you just shift your head and look at it different. Do you know how happy an 85-year-old person would be for you to come up to them and talk to them? You know, I don't know if you know the plight of a lot of humans, but a lot of 89-year-olds, late, like, it's lonely. And so it's really nice, it's nice for them, you'll get some real fucking wisdom. I'm hot on the idea, I, I hope it becomes a trend. I want, can we do Q&A with the crowd? Absolutely. Okay, good. What's your name? Michael. Michael. Um, long time listener, first time call. Thank you, Brad. Uh, so you were talking about radical optimism, almost right in a sense. Actually, practical optimism. 
I don't, I don't think I do radical optimism. When I hear radical optimism, I think that leads itself a little bit into delusion. For me, I like to call it practical optimism. Like, I just, I don't think everything's gonna be okay. I actually think tons of shit is fucked up. I think we're more in control than the world's been telling us. I think you could be good. Because you just have so much control. So I would say practical optimism. I'm scared, you should see me in meetings or real life talks. I'm petrified of delusion. I have, enough, I have tons of people around me that are delusional. Their entire strategy is <gasps> That shit does not work. Go ahead. So practical optimism. Yes. Uh, got it. So uh, you were talking about practical optimism and how uh, I think his name is Dustin. Yes, Dustin. How Dustin, you've like increased that around him, and I'm assuming a lot of that has just been like hanging out with him, right? Just him being. And, and by the way, and not just me, right? Him seeing the organization flow, like him seeing real life stuff. Right, like it's cool when you see the hyperbole on, you know how everybody has to be cynical now. Like, it's one thing, because Dustin, you know, as I don't recall like how much he was aware of me a little bit, like some, yeah, but like to come and see under the hood and see it's not full of shit, to see real life graciousness, to see care, like you start getting affirmation, plus the other people around him, it's not just me, it's Sid and Andy and D-Rock, go ahead. I can, I can understand what you're dealing with, Asher, with the interrupt. Welcome to my school. Go ahead and start using your fucking microphone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a deep burn. Uh, so, what I was saying is, you have the real life example of it in front of you, right? For us as mentors, a lot of us and leaders in this business, it's really hard when we get someone who's burnt out, they, they don't know what they're doing, they, they don't know how to shift their perspective. Yep. And I think like 90% of our job is to help others shift their perspective and make things easier. I think that's right. So how would you get someone to shift that perspective in a job where there's a lot of busyness and there's a lot of us making, I don't, I don't know the right term for it, but I think you get what I'm saying. I do. Suffocation. That's the answer. Like, you suffocate it. And what I mean by that is, you never waver on the actual conversation. People ask me all the time, like, aren't you tired of saying the same shit? I'm like, no. Because you never know when it's the moment that someone's gonna hear you. Do you know how fun it is? Back to no. It's more fun for me to see the 19th conversation I have with somebody in my organization flip their switch than when it happens on the first one. So what would I say? Just keep doing it. Like, what are you gonna do? Agree with them? Like, there's not that many options. You continue to invest emotionally through communication, or you don't. Some shit is just binary. You have the ability to say this person's no longer capable, and by the way, I've hit wit's end with many people. Tons. There's tons of people that I gave 42 at-bats to, and I woke up and I was like, nah, not 43. I've given it everything I can, she or he is out. There's other people that don't get the 43, they get the three, because you don't like the way they've interacted with the three. It's all okay, and by the way, I don't think I've always been right. I'm not crippled by thinking I'm always right. I just know that I can only do what I can do, and so I think you just do as much as you can do. I love that, thank you, man. You are. I've actually been thinking about this for a while. It's a question I've been wanting to ask you for a little bit. Um, 
I don't spend a lot of money on myself. Like, mm-hmm. I like investing money and I'm very minimal with like the way I spend money. Yeah. And I've heard you say that before. Like, yeah. I, I spend as minimal yeah. as possible on yourself. Mm-hmm. And my wife tells me all the time I should like buy something for myself to like treat myself. Do you to want anything? I me neither. Don't. So, um, but do you ever treat yourself though? Of like, course. Like, you know what my favorite thing is? When the Jets get some weird player who's like a fourth string linebacker, I go immediately to Fanatics and get a custom jersey of that player so I can take it and wear it at a game and then that allows me to flex and peacock on everyone else that I'm a bigger fan than they are. (laughs) Seriously, it's my favorite. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, I like vacations. You know, like, I'm never scared to spend money. It's just, I definitely don't want stuff. Like, I do not like stuff. Yeah, it was the whole thing about like, do you need two vacations a year, or do you need four? Do you need five sports jackets, you need two? You need as little as possible, but some people, most people, most people do a lot of things to signal to other people. I've been in a lot of hotels, brother. The bed at the Holiday Inn in the Four Seasons is a narrow margin. Beds are good now. You know what I mean? Like, like but some people would never do the Holiday Inn because they just want to tell people they stayed at the Four Seasons. And by the way, I don't begrudge that. I just wish we had more thoughtful conversations to why people buy what they buy. You know, like, People say to me all the time, like, fuck you, Gary, I love, like, the way the poor strives. I was like, good. Like, I'm so happy for you. Like, you actually can feel the horsepower? Knock yourself the fuck out. Like, like, you love the way the gold is on your, like, good. But like, it's very clear to me that that is a low percentage of people. People are using what they do and buy to communicate to others. And so, I think you're in a very good spot. That's different than smelling the roses. The other question is, some years you need six vacations and some years you need one. I don't think people contextualize enough. Um, I like what you said about uh, being addicted to micro losing yeah. and micro winning. Yeah. Um, obviously, we do have a lot of no's in this job yeah. on all aspects. Yeah. What would be your biggest advice to take back to our people to kind of start instilling that into their mindsets? You know, it's a complicated question because I do think this one gets into like how one is built. If you were crippled, like I'm sure, I mean, this industry, correct me, jump in anybody like, there's been tons of people that quit after the first or second day, right? Yeah. They're like at the extreme level of insecurity, right? It's like, you know, they're insecure. They're scared of judgment. They're scared of the no, and I have empathy for that. This is clearly not the job for them, and that's fine. I think if people have made it past, you know, a month or two of this, and they're still in it, I just think it's communications. Back to the first question. I just think we just keep talking about how, like, if I was in the field with my crew, I would be more, like, I do, Dustin, you know this, like, I, I do this so much with, like, pickup basketball. Obviously, I've been playing a lot the last three months. Nothing excites me more on earth than losing the first game. It's the fucking best. 
Because then you grab everyone and be like, all right, these motherfuckers, we're gonna do, you know, like, you get like hyped. Like, if I was in the field, I would be like with my team, I would just like, I would, back to ivory towers, I would tell everybody here to get back into the fucking field and you say player coaches, so it's, do you knock on doors still? No, we get back from COVID. It's good. It's, you like it, right? Yeah, like from you down, everyone should do it and then the more senior you are, the way I would do it, if I had to make a decision, from the most senior person down, they need to be the loudest of how good the no's are. Like I would like make it a game. I'd be more pumped. I'd like the whole time I'd just be talking shit about how bad the nose were. Yo, that dude fucking slammed the door in your fucking face. Awesome. Yeah. Like like you know, like like just make it fun. Like I love man, I really like it. So I would just champion the nose. Thank you. Yeah. You just have to it's about eliminating I believe it. You, you, you guys didn't get here by accident. There's a lot of things that are going well here. But like, it's good. I mean, obviously you need some yeses. I have a hard time believing if you get no yeses that it's gonna be okay. But like, you know, but like, you just, a no means nothing. It literally means nothing. Like literally, actually. What's up, Gary? Hey, brother. So my question for you, right? We've been talking a lot this weekend about how finite time is, mm. and I've been watching you for a few years now. So my question to you is, how do you decide who gets your time? Mm. Uh, that's a great question. I, you know, I have three full-time admins and two chiefs of staff, so they have a lot to say. Obviously, I dictate all of that. I go with a mix of intuition, but when you're at the tippy top, and you can speak to this, and you're at the top of your own certain things, a lot of times when you're at the tippy top of something big, you're literally putting your finger in the hole that's bringing water onto the boat. You're, you're not in control, you're a firefighter. You know, a lot of what gets my time is whatever fucking alarm just went off. You know, and then when I have any moments left for offense, you're just kind of prioritizing in your mind like what matters. And so I go with a lot of intuition. I try to stay on strategy of what I'm trying to accomplish. But I would say 50% of my time is fire alarms. And the other 50 is like a mix between 80% staying on track and then 20% of random intuition. There's literally times I go to the bathroom in the office, walk by someone's desk, I don't like the way it felt, come back to my admins and schedule 15 minutes with them. So it could really run the gamut. Yeah, we got it, brother. What's up, big dog? My man. Um, so, real quick, first and foremost, uh, I'm a big next fan. Love. Where are we going? Wait, one second. Okay. Second question. Um, like, when's when's enough? You know, like in terms of just like, at what point do you say I made it? Have you already said that? I've already said that. And so now, where do we go? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I even say I made it. Like, it's not even like, like that. It's, um, for me, enough is the waking up and playing the game, not whether I win it or not. I'm really lucky. I'm, I really challenge all of you to get to this lucky place. I know a lot of you are doing well in here and not to make some people resign here, because I love you, but, you know, there's nothing better than actually genuinely waking up every day of your life happy that you're doing what you're doing and I've been there pretty much always. Even like all the challenges, it's like I'm always there. I'm a real purebred entrepreneur, I really am. Like 
This was like, you know when you see like Beyonce sing, you're like, that human was built to sing or LeBron to play back. Like I was truly built to be an entrepreneur and so I, I have no, even my chase of buying the Jets, that's like a fun, silly thing that's been around since third grade. It's obviously taken on a life of its own based on how my career has gone. But like, to me, I'm just, it's, it, it was never about any accomplishment. I had no anything. I was just, I've been happy. And so, and to answer your first question, I think we win a first round series. That's it. Yeah. JB's the guy. The guy. One of my guys I filmed this because this is the highlight of my life. And also, this is Sean's gonna have the last question, guys. He has to get out of it. I'm gonna sneak yours in. I don't care what they say. Go ahead. Well, it isn't too hard. The first one is you talk a lot about like the mental fortitude, the mind is the muscle, you have to train it, you know, different than anything else. Um, between this conference and listening to you speak, I've got a pretty good idea of how to handle that. Let's go. I want to hear your approach on physical well-being. Yeah. Allocate time to that. What's some of your practice are. I was 38. And one thing, if I can interrupt you, please. Go ahead. I do it all the time. I'm totally second, into it. Second part is when you do buy the Jets, what's your first order of business? To audit the general manager. It starts there. Number Available. The first one, I was 30, ironically, Ironically, I actually believe what I'm about to say is true. I don't fully recall, but it just popped in my head. I believe that I was in a flight flying from Houston home at 38 and a half and decided while my head was against the window that I was gonna take my health serious because it's really cool that I'm mentally got this all figured out, but when I die at 63 from a heart attack, who gives a fuck? And so you, I think you need to take care of yourself physically and like it talk. So much of what I believe that people are capable of anything, I've been working out every day with a trainer who's my babysitter and make sure that I work out for like eight, nine years and I still hate it more than anything. I hate working out like the way I hate Michael Jordan. (laughs) But I still do it every day because it's the right thing to do and so I'm a big believer in it. And I really think if you're not doing it, you have to fight for it. You have to. All right, dude, thank you. I didn't. Like on back to speaking transparently, I love speaking. You have to understand, it's not about power. I mean, now it got way better because of the green room and context and all that. I'm, I'm, I love talking with people. That's what's cool about it. It wasn't like, oh, it's McDonald's or Nike or Power or senior citizens or sixth graders. Like, it's all equal to me. I am the biggest team human guy you will ever meet, right? Why did I want to? Because I enjoy, genuinely enjoy having conversations with humans on these type of subjects, right? It's just enjoyable. Like, good news, back to check clearing, this is a bad ROI for me. I'm that blessed, bad. Every single mentor or senior winner is like, you're a fucking idiot to speak. Those hours really matter. You've got way bigger business over here. And I'm like, I like it. We were talking a little bit business strategy before and I really liked some of his answers because I'm like, hey, this is a real opportunity. He's like, eh. I'm like, ah, I love that. I'm like, exactly. Like, I don't do, like, there's a million things I could be doing better for my check clearing. A million, right? In different scenarios of different things I do every day. I just want to keep doing what we talked about earlier is I just want to do what I would like to do. And I love to be on stage and share. Gary, please wrap up here. Missing your flight, love Nick. Okay, I'm out of here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to that entire episode. We want to remind you to give Gary feedback, so make sure you tweet him at Gary V. But if you're listening on Spotify, you can drop your comments, questions, and anything in between in the Spotify Q&A section down below. We'll see you in the next episode.